I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to the first Lost for Words podcast of 2021. I'm joined as ever by my co-host Jason Daniels. Jason, welcome along. How are you, Tom? I'm good. How was your Christmas? Marvellous. Excellent. That's nice, short and sweet. And we've got a special guest this week as well, Mike Miller of Smart Golf Fits on Twitter. Mike, welcome along. Hey, glad to be here, Tom. Yeah, thank you for thank you for joining us. We're gonna uh, we're gonna look at the the previous season that's just gone in golf. Um, you know the the impacts of COVID how we believe that had such an effect on certain players who performed well, who didn't. Uh, a brief idea of what we expect for 21. Uh, obviously, the Tournament of Champions this week. And then also, we're going to sort of dive into to Mike's life a little bit. He's got a quite an exciting one, lives in a different part of the world to us. So uh, plenty of questions to ask him. And we'll start off with that. Jason, you want to fire off with some questions for Mike? Yeah, yeah. Good evening, Mike. Um, I, I guess most of the people that listen to us, you know, they, they generally follow the PGA and European Tour, a lot of them and sort of mostly over here in, in England. Um, we'll know you off of Twitter. We've known you for many, many years. You used to do the tournament sheets. Um, I know you still do um, in another sort of format. It, any chance of just giving us a brief background of, I know you used to run a book, how you got involved in, in sort of golf betting really as, as what seems your premium uh, way of making a living? Yeah, well, it's not my, it's not my uh, prime source of income. Um, I've always had other sources of income, but um, I have made money betting on golf every year since uh, 2003. I actually got hooked in 1992, I think it was, the Masters. A friend of mine had a, a sports betting account, which was something I hadn't heard of um, uh, up till that point in time. And um, he asked me if I wanted to bet on the Masters, and I said, oh, give us 50 bucks on uh, Bernard Langer. And he was 50 to 1, and he won. So I was probably hooked mm. on golf from that point. <laughs> as, um, as... I, did, I did bet uh, professionally full-time on uh, football for a couple of years in the early 2000s, um, but it was really, really hard work grinding out a, uh, grinding out a profit you weren't uh, betting you know, against Nottingham Forest every week when that was going on, were you? <laughs> I actually remember when Forest were a good team. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. They've been terrible since I've uh, since I've come into this world. But uh, yeah, I think the first match I went to go and see was the last match we ever played in the Premier League. So that's always a good start. <laughs> One day you'll be back. Yeah, we, we, we'll see. But yeah, no, it's interesting to to sort of hear, you know, how how you got in there. You know, everyone I think's got a maybe a first memory of golf betting. I know Jason's dates back to sort of dinosaurs times and things like that. But, uh, you know, I always vividly remember um, having a bet on Ernie Els at the Open um, when he beat Adam Scott. Obviously, it wasn't a first memory, but it's, it's something that sticks with me for quite, quite a while. And, and that's sort of where the love went for to take it to another level. I was maybe wanted to start writing on it um, and eventually start talking nonsense week to week on here as well. So... Uh, your, your latest travels, you, you've been around the world, haven't you, Mike, for, you know, I think the countries that you can list that you've been to, it's probably easier to say which ones you haven't been to, um, but you're actually settled at the moment in Uganda, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's right. I, um, just to finish off the golf betting thing, I decided pretty early on that I wanted to build my own um, database and try and have as much uh, information to hand as possible. And I have to thank a guy called... Uh, who I worked with called Terry Pattinson, who I think is an exec with uh, with William Hill these days. 
um, he he gave me the basic structure and I fleshed it out with a programmer. And ever since then, which was about 2003, I've just been trying to build a database of global, a global database of golfers, male and female, senior and amateur, um, and to, to try and stay ahead of the game, I suppose you would say. Yeah, and, and what, you know, you say there that the, someone had the, that Terry had the kind of basics there and, and you fleshed it out with a programmer, but, you know, not to go into too much detail because I think a lot of people probably wouldn't understand what goes into it, but how much goes into keeping a database like that and, and how, you know, to keep it up to date all the time? Uh, quite a bit. I've, I've estimated it at, at around uh, 15 to 18 hours a week, and that's pretty much every week of the year. Um, it encompasses not just um, the tours that we're all familiar with, but in fact, uh, 42 um, professional tours, I think 28 men's and 14 ladies, as well as all the big amateur events and uh, all the uh, all the men's um, seniors events. So there's a fair bit of uh, resulting to, um, to take care of each week, as many as 20, 22 tournaments some weeks as well as keeping up with world golf rankings and, and so on as well. And I try to flesh it out with dates of birth so that I can have a, like an age context for each player as well. So, yeah, it's quite a bit of work, labour of love. Just to give yourself some more work there as well. <laughs> but, you know, when, Jason, we know how much goes into just doing a podcast each week for two tours, doesn't it? I mean, mm. we talk on here for, for over an hour, you know, every week. Um, and that's sort of a, you know, a quarter of what we actually spend looking it up. Uh, that's two tours at the end of the day. And Mike's talking about a tour, you know, going to globally across minor tours, you know, higher tours, main tours, whatever, seniors tours, everything. You know, if there's a goal tournament going on, Mike has to collect that data. So we, you know, we have to kind of respect the grind that goes into that. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that's the thing as well is when, when I first came across your site, Mike, in Smart Golf Pets, it looks, me, you know, it looks a very simple format, um, you know, which the simplicity made it so much um you know so user friendly but it also makes you think oh maybe it's not so you know so hard to put together um but that's not quite the case when you talk about how many people and how many how many bits of data actually have to go in there to do it <laughs> oh absolutely i think there's uh, i i delete golfers uh, once they haven't played for three years um so the the database is constantly evolving but to give you an idea of the scope, there's, uh, there's, 20, there's over 23,000 players uh, in it today. <laughs> That's mental. It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? And, and Mike, just before we move on to anything else, just let us know where we can find that data at the moment. Um, well, I, uh, I had a, uh, an ultimatum uh, from my wife uh, uh, when, when we found out that uh, she was pregnant. She said, you're spending all this time on golf, but... Um, you know, you're making money gambling, but that may not happen forever. Uh, why don't you try and uh, why don't you try and commercialise it? So I thought long and hard about it. Eventually, partnered with a Canadian guy um, and, and formed a Green Square Golf. Um, Matt Wiley was the guy Wiley77 on Twitter, and. Um, yeah, we basically moved uh, moved the sheets behind a uh, behind a paywall. It costs uh, ten bucks a month, uh, hundred bucks a year, and that's for, as you say, a fairly simple sheet, um, but a hundred percent perfect. 
um, on pretty much every golf tournament on which there's betting um, globally. Yeah, absolutely. The idea being that, uh, there's, there's an enormous amount of analysis and output related to the main tours, um, including yours. Um, but as you get deeper and deeper into other tours, um, I think uh, having a comprehensive database can sometimes give you a little bit of an edge uh, or at least more confidence in investing. And, and that's, that's where we're really pitching Green Square Golf. We don't expect to be a huge value add to people betting on PGA or European Tour. Um, but if they're betting on LPGA or Champions or Japan or Asia, Australia, South Africa, uh, they've at least got something, some kind of form guide to uh, to rely on. And am, am I right in thinking like that's kind of where you find your edge is, is on some of the other tours, the Champions Tour and the Asian Tour, particularly the LPGA as well. I think I tend to find that you'd like to throw sort of bets up in there and do pretty well on those tours as well. Yeah, it's, um, the the business of betting on golf has, has evolved a lot in the past uh, 15 years. And um, it's been difficult to keep up, to be honest. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, a bookmaker isn't going to to bet you to win quarter of a million on um, on an Asian tour or an Australian or a Sunshine tour event, uh, whereas he might be happy to bet you that much uh, on one of the major tours. So he's not uh, taking as much risk, um, and he doesn't have a lot of time. Um, so there are occasions where a golfer who, as a result of my software, I might rate 50 to 1, um, opens 150 to 1 or 125 to 1, and that, that sort of immediately becomes of interest. Uh, and occasionally they win um, or place. Um, so, yeah, that's you'd be right. I think um, in 2020 I, uh, I had, I think I tipped four or five winners over 100 to 1. I rated them all 50 to 1 or shorter. And there are a couple of others. I remember George Cunningham on the um, uh, Corn Ferry Tour back in January. I tipped him at uh, 400 to 1 and backed him. Uh, and he placed third. And more recently on the Japan Tour, uh, the best one I've ever tipped, Hirotaro Naito, 600 to 1. Uh, he finished solo third, so paid a full place. So things like that, yeah, they pop up uh, more often on those lesser tours than, than on the primary tours. I must admit, from a personal point of view, when I first got into to doing the, the articles and the tipping, and I don't know how Jason feels about it as well, but I, I sort of would go to your, your sheet as a reference point, look at the course form, uh, and pray to God that when you released your uh, your prices that the people I tipped weren't... Uh, weren't suddenly 150 to one shots when I rated them 50 to one. <laughs> you know, it's always one of those things where I hope Mike has a similar line of thinking to me. And I think also, do you you say you rate someone at 50 to one and, and they sort of book put someone at 100 to one? No matter what your feeling is on that goal for, or do you can you do you just completely ignore that and go with the number, or is there a bit of a, a personal element to it as well? Um, well, I do. And for Green Square as well, I do price every golfer in every tournament pretty much. Um, but when there's a big discrepancy like that, I don't always assume that that I'm God and the bookmakers are idiots because they're not. Um, so I, I do a fair bit of research on those, those ones that pop up each week and try and work out uh, why 
there's such a big discrepancy in, in price. And um, if I if I can't find a good reason, then I assume that I'm right and the bookmakers wrong. And then I certainly uh, back them and I, I combine them in doubles and. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, is there anything you wanted to add on, on, the rest on that? No, just, just during lockdown, Mike, obviously, you know, most most punters uh, who, who, you know, not, I would say serious punters, but most of those that's concentrate on the main tours, um, we had nothing to watch. Well, I say we, we had nothing to watch, really. So we all got involved in the Outlaw and Cactus tours, which <laughs> ended up giving, you know, a couple of really minor tours, a major exposure. Um, and I, I now think they're followed by, I mean, obviously, we know Ryan, uh, who's Monday, Monday Q School on Twitter. Um, so his business has taken off because of lockdown. Did you get involved in the Outlaw and the Cactus Tours at all during the lockdown? I did, yeah. I, uh, I was in contact with both tours regularly, and um, I put up sheets on all of their tournaments from March. And, in fact, uh, I, I backed a couple of golfers at 300 to 1 um, who managed a full place. Um, but, you know, those those two betting accounts got shut down the following <laughs> Monday. <laughs> yeah. Some of you are probably all familiar with. But, yeah. yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, just on the tail end of a flu here. Um, yeah, the uh, also the Golden State Tour and a yep. few other um, unofficial events, uh, bigger tournaments. Uh, yeah, any anything really just to uh, keep things ticking over. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Uh, and, and obviously, I mean, we may talk about this later on when we're discussing, because we're missing your awards this year, Mike. So when we're discussing uh, maybe uh, Lady Golf of the Year, um, contender, we won't talk about now, but must be Sophia Popov, who, of course, came off uh, winning three times on the Cactus Tour to come on and, uh, of course, win the Open, um, which, you know, was incredible. Um, but, yeah, we'll probably talk about that later on. But that's the relevance of following the minor tours, I guess. Um you know, if you didn't, then she comes through with, with certain bits of form on the Symmetra, a little bit on the LPGA. But, you know, she was in cracking form during the lockdown. I know it was a, a lesser grade, but you can't do anything other than win, can you? So, um, yeah, for everybody, all these minor tours, challenge tour, go down to, you know, Corn Ferry and even, even lower, another grade lower. And uh, there are winners to take from them for the future. Oh, there are. I mean, um, an example, the recent... An example would be uh, Matt Wallace, who, who did well on the Alps Tour, which a lot of people probably haven't even heard of. I think he won three times and then went straight through to the European Tour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within a year, he was playing in WGCs and major championships. Yeah. And there are plenty of examples like that all over the world. I mean, I follow players through the Big Easy Tour onto the Sunshine Tour in South Africa, um, players from uh, Symmetra Tour, um, through to LPGA and um, the Asian Development Tour through to the Asian Tour, uh, the Japan Step Up Tour through to the Main Tour and, and so on. Hmm. Um, and you, you really only get one or two chances. If a good player is coming up through the ranks, you might be able to snag them at 100 or 200 to 1 the first time they start on a bigger stage. Um, but that, that price won't last long. So um, you just get a very small window of opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the one of the other sort of people I think of it as that example was someone that you know we talk about quite a lot. Jason is Sammy Valamaki, wasn't he? He won four yeah. times on the on the pro golf tour after turning professional in 2019, and very quickly made the step up to the European tour. And I think I think I've probably been guilty of it in the past. And I think that 
that maybe other people are as well is that you, you kind of look at this form and think well is it relevant is he going to be able to make the step up but like Jason just said there you can only beat what's in front of you and winning's winning isn't it at the end of the day and if it prepares you uh, for the next step I mean it's almost a case of let them prove you wrong until otherwise you know if someone makes 10 starts on the European Tour and, and doesn't do anything um, then then you can quickly unfollow them but for someone like Sammy Valamaki who come out and play very well very early on I suppose that's a key example of for following those minor tours, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. He's a very good recent example. And, you know, he was, what did he, he was about sixth or something, wasn't he, in the DP World Tour Championship? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's crazy how you can make that quick step up. Let's, let's talk about now that the, the season's just gone past. And, and obviously we had the lockdown very early on in, you know, earlier in the year, in March. Um, and it took until the summer to, to restart. And, when when you have a lockdown like that, Mike, how how do you approach it in terms of who do you think... Is there someone that you have in your head or particular players that you think are going to deal with that better than others? Is there a way to, to quantify that and put that into data of looking back at when they've taken a certain amount of weeks off? And, you know, because we talk about someone, someone like Adam Scott, for example, has a very limited schedule, so you don't think that having layoffs would be much of a disruption to his game. Um, but is that something that you look at, or is it a case of everyone was kind of just guessing we had to wait until the first couple of weeks before we knew what we were dealing with? Well, I think there's probably an extra element at play uh, in respect of the COVID lockdown, and that is the, um, I guess you'd say, the psychological or the emotional effect on people. Yeah. Um, I think Adam Scott's uh, got a young family. Um, Rory McElroy has a new baby. Um you know, it's it's hard to to say it was just a it was just a three or four months layoff. I think it was more than that. So if if you look at the very best players in the world, you look at uh, say Rory, for example, he really didn't look himself post lockdown at all. You know, he he was okay, but he didn't really look like he was tuned in. And then if you go to the other extreme, someone who who seems to be able to brush off. Uh, almost anything, uh, Dustin Johnson, um, he sort of, you know, he played some of the best golf we've ever seen uh, in, the, in the second half of 2020. Um, so I think I think the layoff is, is part of the issue, but I think there's a, a there have been psychological factors at play as well that we'll probably never know about. Um, Tommy Fleetwood, perhaps another example, he yeah. certainly didn't play his best golf post-lockdown. I believe he has a young... A young child um so yeah that's my theory on it is that uh is that it's affected different people in different ways some barely affected at all um and that we'll probably never really know who was affected the most um and hopefully it'll never happen again <laughs> yeah that's that's for sure definitely but jason the, the couple of people that, that mike just spoke about there that i sort of wanted to, to focus on well, the first he was rory mcelroy and and we didn't le- we didn't learn of of his baby coming on until very late in the process, did we? And I think if people had known that maybe early on, people may have approached Rory's approach to the to the return quite differently. Because I think a lot of the time there was like, oh, he's not playing as well because he's not been able to show up in front of fans, or he can't get up for it, he's not motivated, and that sort of thing. And it could have been an awful lot of he was actually incredibly concerned and worried about the implications of a, a new family in in a crisis like that. Yeah, you've got it's the nappy factor thing, isn't it? It's um, there's been a long time debate for many many years since Keith Elliott put that um, put that little um, nappy on the end of uh, 
the end of a player's form line. Um, yeah, you know, if they play well and they've just had a baby, we say it's an FP factor positive. If we don't, then we say the baby's keeping him up every night. Um, it's just we're punters, aren't we? And at the end of the day, um, we'll always find a reason. Um, that we'll never know if that's the reason, as Mike says, but we'll always find a reason. But yeah, Rory didn't look like... Um, having said that, you know, you look at Dustin, you know, as languid as anything, and uh, but he's desperate to win, as he showed, you know, after, after the Masters in, you know, quite an emotional speech. Um, it, look, it affects people in different way. I, Rory, I won't say anything controversial, but uh, so, uh, but yeah, look, he didn't play his best, but maybe others are getting better and he's staying the same. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's something that we'll go on to in a minute when we look ahead at, at 2021. But Tommy Fleetwood was the other one, was someone that while everyone was going over to play on the PGA Tour and, and play the bigger events and get prepared for the major championships, he stayed he stayed home, didn't he? He didn't play. He played a very limited schedule on the European Tour. Um, and I remember we said it, he played in Portugal, didn't he? And, and I said, oh, you know, I don't don't know. If there's actually a motivation to win there, and he actually finished. I think it was third or second that he finished. Um, but but that's the thing. We we were we you know. As punters and as as fans, you interpret things how you think you see them, and and like Mike said just there, you know we have absolutely no idea what's going on. We will never will short of them coming out and saying that was the reason for it. And then again, you just decide whether you uh, believe them or not. It's it's all down to the interpretation, isn't it? But it certainly did have an impact. Um, Mike, how did the in terms of viewing golf? I mean, for me. I actually quite enjoyed it, but having no fans at the golf, did that affect your view in any at all? Actually, to be honest, it didn't um, at all. Uh, in fact, from a viewer's perspective, I almost saw it as a, as a positive. Yeah. But um, I think, as I mentioned to you in a text a few weeks ago, I, I did have a little bit of a theory that um, the absence of spectators might have changed the form of some players made it easier for, for certain players to play well on Sundays. Um, so perhaps there was a, a bit of a removal of Sunday pressure on, on certain players. Yeah, absolutely. Through, I think uh, that's the thing, isn't it? There was a lot of first-time winners, wasn't there? Um, and, and like you say, that could just be that there were a lot of people. And, and do you think as well, Mike, sorry to interrupt there, that uh, holding on form and, and, keep, and continuing with that rather than, you know, week to week very consistently finishing well it was easier to withstand when there wasn't so many fans about as well excuse me um i suspect so yeah i mean i i for a long time on european tour sundays uh if anybody's been leading going into sunday i've just gone on betfair and laid them sometimes <laughs> laid whoever was second and third as well um and, and a, a few players surprised me in the second half of 2020. I made a profit overall doing it, but, um, yeah, I was surprised. I can't think of their names off the top of my head, but I was surprised that uh, a few players came through on the Sunday and I just had a, a, a suspicion that that may not have been the case if there had been five or 10 or 20,000 fans around. Yeah, Jason, what are your thoughts on that as well? It's, it's impossible to say. I mean, it is impossible to say. I mean, you know, you look at something like the Italian Open where McGowan beat um, Laurie Cantor. Um, you had uh, Dean Burmester chasing them absolutely down. You know, Burmester would have loved fans there. Um, and you get the feeling 
I mean, Kent was bricking it with no fans there, so God knows what he would have been like uh, with 10,000 lining, lining the fairways and, and gasping at every missed putt. Um, it, it's a very weird one, isn't it? You know, um, John Catlin beating Martin Keimer uh, down the stretch at Valderam was probably, for me, one of the most surprising results of the European Tour last year. Um, yeah, he held it together unbelievably. Um, would he have done the same with 10,000 lining those fairways? We, we will never know, will we? All, all we know is that, you know, somebody like him has won twice and he's going to come into this year a completely different player. Um, not worried about anything and, and good luck to him. Aaron Rye, I was glad to see, you know, win a tournament. He should have won two. Um, I was glad to see him win the Scottish Open. I've been a fan of his for years, as you know. Um, he's very methodical. So um, somebody like him, I reckon, would have uh Still won something, still won something like that, at least a tournament this year, um, because of the way he plays. But so, you know, who knows? It's impossible, isn't it? Sam Horsfield twice, he looks as that sort of player that would love to have fans there. But we're all guessing what their mental state is going to be like. And until they, until they fail to do it in a similar situation, we can't then look back and go, you know, yeah, you know, the only reason he won twice in 2020 was because, you know, there weren't a load of people gasping at every bad shot. Who knows, Tom? I don't. No, I think I think one of the things for me, and, and it's a name that kind of uh, was on everybody's lips for for most of the year in terms of golf, and and though Mike's got a, a view on him, especially for this week, but yeah, you know, I think that it may have been slightly easier for Bryson to implement the changes that he made. Um, he had that period where he could go and work on it, you know, solidly whilst everyone was was locked up and and some didn't touch clubs, and he just gained for speed. But also, I think. Mike, I don't know how you feel, but actually in tournament play, being able to play and hit the drivers like that without kind of having the eyes on you and, and people watching you and, and the big crowds, I don't know, that was slightly easier as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of Bryson, but um, I, I do admire him, you know, effectively making over his body. Um, I mean, just spectacular. Um, I sort of dislike the idea that somebody can muscle up and, and suddenly become the best golfer in the world. There's clearly a lot more to it than, uh, than just sitting at a mile. You know, otherwise all those guys who contend in the long driving championships would all be tournament players. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, none, of them, none of them are, but he's he's almost in between. He's almost in between the two groups, like a a decent driving golf pro versus a, a, a long driving pro. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how things play out over the next few years. I'm not sure whether anybody's body can take that amount of torque over over the long haul. Um, you know, Tiger's probably the most extreme example of somebody who pushed the envelope um, and then probably suffered for it. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see how Bryson goes and also how he handles adversity. I mean, he, he hasn't had... Uh, he didn't seem like a very happy person in the period before he bulked up. Um, and he wasn't playing super well either. Um, and then since then, he's, what, he's won a US Open. Um, and not much else, what, Rocket yeah. Mortgage or something. Yeah. Um, and, and there was big fanfare about him in the Masters. I mean, I... I laid three thousand on him at eight to one on the Masters to lose uh, twenty-one thousand. <laughs> uh, You're confident, then? 
and it was it was never in doubt. Actually, I laid some other guys too, like Spieth and uh, and Tiger and a few others who I thought couldn't win. It was a very good tournament for me, but I just liked the idea that uh, he was going to overpower Augusta, and and he didn't manage to do it. Um, and he's particularly interesting, I suppose, in in the context of. Uh, this week's course with, with fairways that are 60 to 70 yards wide, um, you know, I'm sure he'll be able to unleash. And I, again, I sort of hope he doesn't win. Yeah, I think, again, like you say there, and Jason will talk about this as well, but, you know, yes, he is going to have massive wide fairways. And, and, the, and the thought process going into this week is there's, is it seven or eight? par fours under 420 yards he's got the par fives that are all reachable um he should lap it up but jason that relies on him to have a you know a strong wedge game uh and a, and a hot putter which is something he's actually rode a lot of the last season was his putter and you know regardless of how much of an advantage his driving is he does still have to get the ball in the hole and and that does depend on the flat stick a lot of the time yeah we, we discussed this all year didn't we um i said all along the it, the problem is it, you can't go from smacking the ball like he does and, and as, as far as crowds are concerned I think he loves it I mean he posts you know he posts those videos all the time of him you know smacking the ball on some driving simulation you know looking like as, you, as Mike says looking like he's about to you know his arms are going to fall off um, <laughs> so I, I, I've no doubt that he, that he he wouldn't care if there were 25,000 fans lining the fairway or not um, but he's got no feel, and, and unfortunately, bulking up like that, um, you know, and with that bizarre uh, arm action, uh, uh, you know, he's yet to convince me. hasn't convinced me all year that he's got it. Uh, and I think you're gonna, you know, even though you've got something like this, where, yeah, you know, if if you look at the 12th, if the um, wind is blowing in the right direction, Dustin Johnson drove that 400 and whatever it was yards uh, to about six inches in 2018. But Dustin Johnson has learned over the years, um, even though he won this seven years ago, he's learned over the years uh, to have much more in his game. And we, we can all see the stats for Dustin now. They're just ludicrous. They're out of the park. Um, you can't just do that. And, and I remain totally unconvinced that, that the Shambo can back up any of his driving with any of his short game. And, and you know, in a field like this, um, where you've got genuinely top grade short game players um it's absolutely not for me um we'll see what happens it'll be fun to watch um he's probably gonna do what bubba did didn't bubba hit a 400 yard second shot or something silly didn't he on one of these pathways it's, it's ludicrous um it's a really good event to watch for me um but yeah if the wind's blowing the right way bryson's gonna <laughs> bryson's gonna pitch it outside of the green isn't he um yeah. we'll see what happens but for me no he hasn't got he, you know you do need an element of scrambling here. You do need a bit of finesse. Um, and you do need to be able to putt and, and absolutely not. I've no doubt he'll do something ridiculous one day. But over four days against this quality of field? Nah, not for me. I'll ask, I'll ask you both this, but I'll come to you, Jason, first. Uh, a two-parter then. One, what do you expect uh, from Bryson DeChambeau in 2021? Uh, and what is a good season for him? I mean... Um... What do I expect from him? Yeah. Um, uh, he'll win a couple. He'll win a couple because he has to win a couple. Um, but I think in top grade competition, I, I, I just, how much more can he do of what he is known for doing, if you get what I'm saying? 
there are other elements to the game that he must work on a lot more than this 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 bravado um and like i say unless until i see it until i see him being able to switch from a 360 370 yard drive and then pitch up every time to 10 feet and then hold the putt um i'm, I'm just not convinced I, you've got players good enough from 150 160 um that it makes no odds that he's he's 50 60 yards further down because they're a better player from that range in and and yeah and they'll finish the hole so yeah, he has to win because his length will give him advantage a couple of times this year but it wouldn't surprise me if he'd done absolutely nothing um and it would surprise me if he won more than more than a couple so um he will expect a lot more i don't no fair enough mike the same same question to you do you, do you expect him to to kick on and improve and what do you think a good season looks like for him um, well, I think he's uh, he's clearly super intelligent, um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's paid as much attention to his short game as as his long game uh, over the past three months or so. You know, since he last played, well, he's played once, I think, uh, in the past uh, three or four months. Yeah, he got thirty fourth in the Masters. <laughs> um, I. I think, uh, like Jason, I think uh, probably a couple of wins uh, would be an okay season. He would probably hope for more. Um, in, in the majors, um, the one where I would give him a real chance is probably at uh, uh, Torrey Pines. Yeah. Uh, is, is that the uh, PGA? That's the US, US Open. Open's Torrey Pines, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's 76, 7,700 yards, and the rough will be... Uh, really up, um, and yeah, and I think who was Matt Wolf second? I can't remember. Yeah, Matt Wolf came second, and he was actually out driving Bryson a lot of the time. But yeah, yeah, I mean Bryson's not going to outdrive these guys by thirty, fifty, seventy yards. Certainly not for long. But um, I think uh, there's a little bit of correlation between those two US Open tracks in, in, the, in the context of, okay, everybody's going to finish up in the rough a fair bit. Um, and if you're going to finish up in the rough, uh, you may as well be closer to the hole, right? Because you're playing a, you're playing a club into the green um, that has a much steeper angle to it. Um, so you could argue that uh, it'll be easier for DeChambeau and Wolf and Cameron Champ, Dustin Johnson type of player to just blast off the tee um, and take their medicine in the rough and, and still beat a lot of guys who can only drive at 300 off the tee. So I'd say maybe he'll get two wins and, and one of them could be a major. And if it is, uh, I, I'd suggest it'd be, uh, it'd be the US Open. Yeah, no, I think that's a sort of same line of thinking as me. I think everyone kind of went into winged foot with, with he'd get caught out and uh, you know there'd be a preview on accuracy and things like that. And like you just said there, and like we found out that it just rewards being close as a whole. And and as you say, Matt, Matt Wolf, you've got a carbon copy of his game really. Um, the difference would be with Matt Wolf is that he's not uh, straining himself as much to get that distance, and uh, he's a lot younger, so I think he's probably a bit more adaptable over the next few years. Um, but like you say, they're both going to have good chances there. Matthew Wolf is uh, 50 to 1 for that event as opposed to Bryson being, what is he, 12 to 1, I think 14 to 1. So, you know, it, it kind of takes your medicine there on those ones. Um, Jason, in terms of, there's two names that obviously stick out for me. 
Um, but in terms of biggest disappointments for 2020, in terms of you know, player performance for you? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Um, that's a good one, because we came in after lockdown and we had these various groups of players, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and it was it was going very, very well, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Um, you know, we had, we had those traditional Webb Simpson, Daniel Berger, Kevin Kisner courses, um, and they all, they all did the job. Um, who would be the biggest disappointment? That's Just into, you know, who, who, not for us personally, but maybe the, the player that will look back on the season or the year and think of how poorly they've played and, and you know got a lot of work to do in 2021. I don't think I don't think he will think he's got a lot of work to do, but I think somebody like Matsy Armour would would certainly have expected to um, to win one, wouldn't he? Would you not think? Um, I mean, look, I mean, a lot of the younger guys that we we thought would come through, so the Morikawas. Um, you know the Wolves. They, they 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 had a great job. I mean, they did a great job this year, didn't they? Um, Hovland's coming through now. Uh, Nyman had a reasonable, reasonably good season. Um, Mark Leishman maybe um, went off the ball, didn't he? Completely. Um, I thought you know I thought he'd probably have a better season than that. But I, I actually can't think of somebody that I would say had had a appalling season. But yeah, I think those couple would have expected to win a tournament throughout the year give, even even given the fact that we had three months off so yeah I, I, I wouldn't put one up to be honest with you Tom uh, the couple I had in mind I don't know how you felt Mike but for me it was, it was Ricky Fowler was obviously falling out of the out of the top 50 um, and, and hasn't got a Masters invite just yet and obviously Jordan Spieth is continuing to struggle and I think that they have got some work to do in, in 2021 yeah I think um, there are three guys who are clearly in decline uh, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods um, but for me, the ones who I think would probably look back and with a bit of disappointment would be Rory, um, Brooks Kepka, and probably Justin Rose. Yeah, Rose was the other one on the list for me because I think that there wasn't really... like For, for Jordan Speed, there's been evident struggles there for a little while now, hasn't there? And, and, yeah. and Ricky Fowler was going through swing changes and things like that, whereas Rose's form just seems to have just dipped massively. I know he had the big manufacturer change that he got himself out on but that was the one that was quite alarming for me was how quickly he really did slide down the down the rankings yeah he uh i think he's hit 40 recently hasn't he maybe uh maybe it's just a natural physical downslide you don't have to you don't have to drop off too much to to be lagging guys like justin thomas and john ram and Xander shuffler and so on <laughs> Is that, is that the other thing? Is that there is just these other guys like Jason mentioned that Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland, etc. They've just done such a good job of of coming through that these guys are just what they're doing. Mm. Although it is poor, is just looking even worse because of the guys that are coming through. Yeah, and they're all what twenty three. Yeah, Sung Sung Jaim is probably younger. Um, so yeah, that next generation is looming pretty large already. Yeah, absolutely. And there's other others too from that generation who will come through um in the in the months and years ahead too like uh like justin sue and brandon Wu and guys like that yeah yeah jason you know what was your you know your overall feeling on someone like a, a justin rose do you think because for me it was like he came ninth place at the pga championship and it looked as though that might be, you know, he obviously forced on the final day and, and that was disappointing, but that looked like they might give him a kickstart and, and then he struggled again. Do you think there is something fundamentally wrong there or do you think it is 
like we just mentioned, that there's just guys coming through and that, that you know, I don't think the strength and depth has ever been as, as big as it is. No, I mean, um, I mean, he's ranking 35th at the end of 2020, believe it or not. It's the 35th best golfer in the world. But anyway, um, yeah, I think, I mean, he had a little bit of time. Um, he took up with the uh, sponsorship of that ladies' tournament during the lockdown. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it is just a case of he, he can't improve. Um, his, well, he can improve at his age, but he isn't improving at his age. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before. He used to say that when he was even in 45th going on a, on a Sunday round, that he would play that round as if he was in contention. Yeah. So, so he always did it. He always played 18 holes, no matter whether he was 45th, going, dropping back through the field or going forward. He'd play every hole as if he was in contention in that tournament. Um, I doubt he's got that sort of hunger now. Um, I don't blame him, but you know, I doubt he's got that. And, and I think it is a combination of being pretty static and and you know like we said you know the younger ones are coming out of college they are ready to play they're ready to play professional golf at the highest level they might take a year or two in corn fair if they need to they might they might do well on sponsors exemptions in the pga but they are ready to go and yeah like mike says you know you've got he's mentioned he's mentioned those players off of sort of the minor tours and the kf uh, corn ferry tour um and there are amateurs coming through might talk about those later um you know already i mean a couple of them finished well at my cobra at the end of the year um they're just ready they're ready to come through that you know you look at somebody like um, the south africans jane shaper christian bez who obviously might probably pronounce it better than we can so we'll say bez as we always do <laughs> you know players like that that are coming through and and you know people like rose and perhaps rory maybe not so much dramatic are, are you know, they're just going to be middle of the field now. Uh, I'm not saying they can't win again, but they're not improvers. And these guys are at that level already and have improvement to come. So, you know, they're born to win. Um, Rose is a worker, isn't he? Um, always has been a really, really hard worker to get where he is and, and full credit to him. Um, why does he need to do that now? He doesn't. So, therefore, he's not going to be at the level that he was. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't interest me for, for anything at the moment, really. No. Um, so let him he'll just plod on and, and do his thing and unfortunately I think like you if he has if he has another you know pretty bad year he's out of the top 50 isn't he yeah so I think coming through. I think that's the thing and I think you, you sort of hit the nail on the head a little bit there was was perhaps the motivation isn't there as much you know you've got to number one you've peaked you know you've won your major championship what you know you're not going to be with the strength of depth in there now you're not going to be a five six seven time major champion at this stage of your career um, unless you go on a you know a really long you know hot stretch again, um, maybe it's just a case of settling for what you've got and, and things like that, and maybe there's more important yeah. things in life. So and that, sorry, Tom. Go on. I mean you, you can't. I mean you can't say they can't do it because we've seen what Westwood has done. But yeah. but Westwood completely dedicated himself. Obviously he had some personal problems, came back and and completely dedicated himself to. Well, I mean you look at him. He looks you know he looks a completely different man now, doesn't he? Um, and fantastically has ended up winning, if you like, player of the year. Um, so, yeah, you know, I don't see Rose as doing that. I think he's reached his level and, and fair enough. But something may inspire him. You know, it only takes a divorce or two, doesn't it? <laughs> I think 
I think, yeah, I think the other sort of name that I kind of think of is Tony Finau now going without a, without a win again for another year, which is quite concerning. I, every week I was convinced he was going to finally get over the line and, and I dreamt of it being at the Masters and, and that, you know, hurt a lot watching that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is what it is. But going on the flip side of things, there's a lot of people that made massive uh, climbs up the world rankings and I've got the list here of the biggest improvers. Uh, Will Zalatoris, who we had on the podcast, went from 670, uh, 672nd to 59th in the world. Garrick Higo, 464th to 90th. Sammy Valamaki, 396th to 69th. Uh, Mike, do you, do you expect those three players to continue improving and shine on a larger stage? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean... While you were talking, I was just thinking of um, a guy like Gary Woodland or uh, uh, Jason Day, you know, yeah. guys who are fabulously physically equipped. Um, you know, I used, to, I used to rate Gary Woodland the same level as Dustin Johnson. Mm. They're similar ages, generation. Um, but, yeah, Higo, I think Higo's part of a, a group of South Africans mm. that are really, you know, rising up. I think Jason mentioned uh, Jaden Shaper, um, and then there's Wilco Ninaba. Uh, there's a group of young guys who are sort of coming up together. Mm. Um, but the other South African guys who have stormed up, like Brandon Stone and uh, Xander Lombard and others, uh, sort of found their level, and it wasn't very high. Um, but Christian Bezadenhout is one who I really think, uh, you know, he could actually probably win a major championship. Mm. Will Zalatoris, obviously, you know, I think he took advantage of some, you know, starts that he got on the PGA Tour, got himself into the US Open, performed well, um, and Sammy Valamaki as well. Yeah, Valamaki, uh, you know, he's on an upswing. I, I can't see him being dominant on the world stage, but I can see him winning a few times on the European Tour. Um, who was the other guy you mentioned? Sorry, Will Zalatoris. Oh, Zalatoris, yeah, I mean, he, he was super consistent on the Corn Ferry Tour, but so was uh, Taylor Pendrith and, and so was Davis Riley and, and a few other guys. He only won once, I think. Yeah, he did. Uh, and, that, and that's the thing, is, is is it a case of these guys, because they get brought to your attention, they, they get, you know, the TV coverage and, and, you know, a lot of feature groups and things like that. Do they, you know, is there a bit of a recency bias on the fact that we've seen him in front of your face? And like you say, Davis Riley, I think he'd won twice already and was on, you know, on the fringe of having a battlefield promotion anyway, um, and and was actually leading the the rankings on the web.com, despite how consistent Will was. Um, you know, do, do you rate them very much differently between Will and, and Davis Riley? There is it a case of just one of them's managed to get the starts he did and, and took advantage of them in, in a short space of time. Yeah, well, I actually think it was a um, it was a poor or a weakish uh, batch on the Corn Ferry Tour compared to some other uh, recent years. But um, I think the only difference between Zalatoris and 10 other guys is that um, he got a few extra opportunities, um, in particular getting into the US Open where he did tremendously well. Um, but I think it, it just goes to show the, uh, the actual depth in golf. You know, a, a guy who we might expect to finish 50th, a good solid um, PGA pro, um, say a Charles Howell or a Kevin Na, we might think that they might finish top 40 in, in some decent tournament. There are probably 
10 or 20 guys on the Corn Ferry Tour who could finish in that same placing, uh, given the opportunity on any particular week. Mm. So I think there's a tremendous amount of depth and, and obviously a bit of luck plays a part as well. Yeah, we've been saying, haven't we, Jason, that I think the, the gap between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour is probably the smallest it's ever been. Um, and it is a case of just you know getting those opportunities, getting those starts, which was a lot harder, obviously, last season with the impact that was going on uh, and, and may be difficult again in 2021. But but I think now that it, it sort of commands respect if you're playing that consistently well on the on the Corn Ferry, there's no reason to suggest that you won't... I mean, this happened previously before as well. It's not like it's a new thing, but... We've seen with people like Sung Jae In, we've seen with Zalatoris recently that the form can translate very quickly onto a PJ Tour uh, standard. Yeah, I think that's the case on on you know if you like both um, second division tours, so the Challenge Tour as well. Yeah. You know, you only need to look to see past winners on that. I mean, I, you know, European Tour, I know um, a history um, going back to the Challenge Tour. Um, you know, you look at people like Kaimer and stuff like that that have come through. Um, John Smith, that Mike mentioned about the minor tours. John Smith winning um, uh, over here on the mini tour, then going over to the Algarve, winning on Jamaica, um, and then winning uh, three times on the Challenge. So um, th- th- there isn't that much. We've discussed it a hundred times before. You know, apart from the top, the real top echelon on both, um, there isn't that much between a world-ranked 25 and a world-ranked 75, 100, 125, on any given day or any given two days, that player can outscore the other. I mean, there there really is not that much in it. And therefore, I think, you know, if you like the study of of what they're doing per round, you know, we've discussed it. There there are good 73s and there are bad 73s. Um, You know, it pays off in the end. I just don't think there's that much in it between them all. Um, the more coverage you get, the more the bookmakers know about, the more they chop another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 points off. Um, and therefore, you have to look elsewhere anyway because, you know, that's our game and we're trying to spot what hasn't happened yet, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just moving on from that subject then. Um, sort of, if you could have one name, Jason, that you're kind of keeping an eye on for someone in 2021 that you think might have a big impact that that maybe others haven't really sort of taken into account? Yeah, what, that hasn't that hasn't won yet? Yeah, or maybe not as one or hasn't won for a while or someone that we're not maybe expecting big things from in, the, in this year. Uh, ask Mike first and I'll come back to you. <laughs> Mike, Mike, is there a name for you that fits that bill? Damn, you really put me on the spot there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't like to prepare yeah, you Jordan too Smith. much. Jordan Smith. Jordan Smith's uh, tee to green is unbelievable. Um, he has one thing to work on, which is his putting. It may never happen, but if it does, he'll win twice this year. There you go, Jordan Smith for, for Jason. I'll, I'll give mine, just sort of give Mike a, a couple of minutes. I think Doc Redmond could have a, a pretty big impact on the PGA Tour. Um, he was someone that I was, I would say I was unconvinced by um, when people were sort of talking about him earlier on in the season. I always thought he was pretty short in the betting became popular very quickly um, but he's, he's starting to look a serious player his tee screen game is fantastic uh, two third place finishes and a fourth place run in, in 2020 um, and, he, and he's still younger than, than I sort of remember he's you know under 30 years of age so I think he could you know be in and he's only been professional sort of since 2018 so I think there's probably a big impact from him maybe coming in 2021 especially if you can get a run of form going Any, anything else from you there Mike? 
Um, the only guy I'd probably mention is um, Brandon Wu, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, what, 23? Yeah. Um, I'm just, just bringing his form up in my database. Um, November 2019, sorry, August 19, uh, he won the uh, US Amateur, the stroke play um, part of that. Um, a month later, he, he was 17th in the Houston Open. And then he won uh, Stage 2 Q School uh, for the Corn Ferry Tour in November 2019. So there's a guy who's gone from amateur to Corn Ferry Q School uh, in the space of a few months. And then uh, through 2020, he had a ninth and then a second in the Boise Open. Then he won the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. Um, so I think he's got huge uh, upward trajectory. And I think I think I'm right in saying that the Corn Ferry is on a like a wraparound season for 2020 and 2021. So battlefield promotions will be available for the likes of Davis Riley and uh, and Wu if he gets another couple of wins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, he's a guy I think uh, uh, could do anything in the next few years. Yeah, because I think there was I think when he first came out, it, there was a lot of expectations, wasn't there? I think it's Stanford that he came from, which is obviously a, you know a university we know very well. Um, and and like you say, maybe I think people were put off because he, he went from that that US amateur win, and he got a few starts in a European tour, US uh, the PGA tour, and you know maybe didn't perform as as well as people expected him to, but it was very young. And now he's settled in. He's had limited starts on the Corn Ferry Tour this season. But like you say, second, first, uh, tenth and second, his last two results as well. So he very nearly won uh, last time out in October against Trey Mullinax as well at the Orange County. So it may just be that people kind of, not given up on him because no one's given up on him at such an early age, but people were quick to forget maybe how good a talent he was coming through just because of a couple of early results. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, he... If he can snag a few uh, uh, sponsors' invites or whatever, and uh, on the big stage, uh, I don't think he'll he'll let he'll let backers down. I think he's going to be really good. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's uh, just a uh, quick look ahead before we go on to the state of affairs this week, and then we'll wrap this up, Mike. So we're not taking up too much of your time, but. Uh... We've got uh, the Masters again, obviously, in April is the next major championship. Did we learn anything, Jason, from the the one just got in November to sort of change your mind about who would who could contend there with, you know, Sung Jae-im and, and Cameron Smith and people like that coming to your line of thinking? Or do you think there was, it was a different event to what we can expect again in April? I do think it was a different event, but Cam Smith obviously um, has to be uh, fully respected. Um, I know you quite like him for a tournament not that long not that far in the distance um yeah they've got to be respected but i mean look i'm fascinated to see how dustin johnson comes out this year after the after that the end of that season um it's 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 just made for him he's for me he's got everything now um but we'll see we'll see how he goes but yeah it's it's extremely boring um john Rahm, i'm obviously quite interested i know we'll talk about that in a minute he's changing clubs etc um, he's very, very happy with that. Um, Xander, as you know, I think will win the Masters one day, whether it's now, next year, the year after, I don't care. He'll win it one day. Um, but for me, it's it's a tournament that will go to, uh, you know, proven players around the course. And, and yeah, I, I'd, fi- I, I'd find it very, very difficult to, to beat 
the favourite. I, I, there's no negative, and that's that's my problem with him. But well, you know, obviously we'll see what happens over the next four to six weeks. Something may you may happen to change our minds, but very boring. And I, I'm not a favourite backer, but I, I'd find it very hard to oppose him. I think I think the trouble is with the Masters market. I don't know if you've got the same sort of feeling. Is the market's pretty well set? I don't think there's anything that I don't think there's any odds really that jump out for me there that. Um, couldn't possibly improve in a few weeks' time, given a couple of weaker results that you know may just be a benefit of you know a bit of rust and and nothing much else. I mean, I'm looking at at someone like Bubba Watson, who obviously we know can win round there. He's 40 to one at the moment. The the guess is that he'll probably play well um, leading into it, given that he'll be playing the Genesis and and Phoenix and places like that, and and he could shorten up. But I can't imagine there'll be too much movement on the favourites there, and and maybe it's a case of just wait and see for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think, well, firstly, I'd say I, I don't think we should attach too much significance to the Masters from November mm. because it was a very very much a different course. Mm. So I think it'll be more back to business as usual uh, come April. The course will be uh, far more challenging. And I, I don't see guys like um, um, the Aussie guy uh, or um, Sung Jai uh, and others being as as threatening in April as they were in November on what was a, a pretty soft course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went through and priced up the Masters um, versus the market about a month ago, and the only player in the top level who I rated much shorter than the market was Patrick Cantlay, who I absolutely hate watching, although I'm a big <laughs> fan of I'm a big fan of how he's uh, come back from a little bit of uh, like mental adversity and physical adversity. Uh, but I rated him 18 to 1, and at the time he was 25s. But that aside, uh, I rated Bryson 14s, and the market was about 10. And uh, a bit like Jason, I think if, if Dustin Johnson puts it all together, uh, he'll be very, very hard to beat because he really has no weakness. Well, no, I, sure. I think I agree because... He, I think it's going to be the easiest, it's hard to say, I suppose, but as we don't know, but I think the fact that it's from November to April, I think there's a, there's a lot of good feelings from coming back that quickly to, to going into Augusta as a defending champion. I don't think it's just a whole year long of being this defending champion and all the obligations that come with that. Um, and not only that, but he's always played well, or generally played pretty well there anyway, Jason. So it's not like it's, it's not like he'd come out of nowhere and won a, on the odd timeout because of the situation. He, he plays Augusta well, took advantage of good form, um, and then there's no reason unless you know he, he has an injury or something in the meantime to suggest that he wouldn't go well again in the week coming up in April. No, it's, 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 I mean, I, I, looking at the price now, looking at the book now, I, I, I think the only one I could see potentially shortening up a bit for me would be Xander. Um, yeah, but um, you know he's obviously played. He, he had a couple of nightmare holes um, in the in the last Masters. As you say, it was a completely different track. Played brilliantly last year. Played the played absolutely superbly on on fast uh, green. So I've got no problem with him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see how Victor Hovland comes through at the beginning of the year. Um, don't see him as a Masters winner. But again, it's it's all about nicking the price if you can. Um, yeah, that, that's really it. To be honest with you, I, I can't see. Yeah, it's, it is all about DJ and and how he comes out at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it is hard to see passing at the moment. I think that you know Rory will have his backers because Rory has his backers at Augusta every year. Um, Justin Thomas as well, but I uh, I'd much rather be on ten. 
Sorry, that's shocking, well, isn't it? Rory at ten to one. That's just I couldn't that's do it. the worst price on there, isn't it? But I couldn't. I've never been um, that convinced by him at short odds anyway. So it's, it's I'm probably biased in that situation. But you know, it, it is what it is. There, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's something that's screaming value for me outside of you know the the top players anyway. So I don't think there's there's much really. I've given so much thought on there. The the PGA Championships at Kiowa Island this year. Uh, it was there in 2012 when Rory lapped the field. Um, you know, it's a Carolina course. There's Carolina links. Uh, Rory won Quail Hollow. David Lynn, who was second there, lost in the playoff to Derek Ernst. Remember him? Um, Pete Dye course. Uh, Jason, any early thoughts on that at all? I mean, I have one name circle, but there's not much confidence in it because I think it's probably too far away to get too excited about. No, no thoughts now. Too far too early. And Mike, are you the same? You're not really look much past beyond the Masters yet for the majors? Well, the only thing is I, I had a look at my course notes for Kiowa Island that I compiled back uh, when it hosted the, was it the PGA? About yeah. Eight years ago. Um, the It hosted the 1991 Ryder Cup and there was only uh, one player there who was unbeaten and that was Seve Ballesteros, even though US won. Um, it hosted the senior PGA in 2007, and Dennis Watson of Zimbabwe beat uh, Eduardo Romero, Nick Price, and Joe Ozaki. Uh, I'll get to my point in a minute. It hosted the World, it hosted the World Cup in 2003, which South Africa won. Uh, Immelman and Sabatini beat uh, Great Britain and France. Okay. Great Britain with Casey and Rose. France with Levay and Jacqueline. Um, so the point I'm getting to is that almost every single one of those players was a good Lynx player. Mm. Um, so my theme for Kiowa Island will be uh, I'm going to uh, only be backing players with a solid Lynx background and probably looking away from US players pretty much completely. Yeah, well, the, the, sort of the leaderboard as well. I mean, Rory obviously lapped the field. You had Justin Rose in third, Poulter in third, who actually was on a, a real charge on that final day, but then bird, uh, bogeyed four of the last six holes. Um, so I think Adam Scott was up there in the top 11 as well. So it looks to me, Jason, like that could be the one where we get sort of a you know a European or, or world player as opposed to an American winning that major, as yeah, Mike yeah, just yeah. highlighted there. Yeah, yeah, very possible. As he's read out, he's, as he's reading out, it, certain players come to your mind, so... Yeah, that's fair enough. I haven't looked at the market properly, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? We, t- we touched upon the US Open where we think that it probably will suit Bombers. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, talk, isn't there, whether people are going to bother going to Torrey Pines in, is it February, where they normally go, um, you know, instead of just opting to avoid that week because the US Open is going to be such a different setup. Uh, the one and only time it's hosted the major championship 2008 when uh, Tiger Woods won. Um, but third that week was Lee Westwood. And if he's the player that. You know, we're expecting him to to be this season and, and has been for the last year or so. I mean, 150 to 1 about him looks pretty big. I know there was some 100 to 1 about him for the Masters and uh, the Open Championship. But I think that, I think, you know, it's hard to tell what the setup's going to be like. If it is a Bombers course, that does, I guess, rule him out, uh, Jason. But, you know, it seems like a big price as you're looking at it now. No, I, I think um, Steve Rawlings got it bang on. I think if you're going to back Westwood for a major, it's going to be our Open. Um, yeah, uh, again, again, I've, I've not looked enough at to have an opinion, to be honest with you. I'm, 
far too worried about the next two months let alone then. <laughs> that's it we'll just, we'll just try and get through those but yeah it was just co- really just a case of highlighting where they are uh in the in the open that's this year that was actually meant to be last year is at royal st george's just down the road from me as well uh the last time that was was used in 2011 was darren clark one with yeah, dj yeah, was yeah. right up there sergio was there there you go ricky fowler was tied fifth that week as well so there were some interesting names that come out of those but uh Moving on to this week and, and the course of action before we let you go, Mike. Um, I saw a, a tweet that you put up that you rated the field and, and Bryson DeChambeau didn't make your top five or six players in the betting. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I rated him. Uh, I rated him fourteen to one for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, I can run through my prices if you want. Dustin yeah. Johnson six to one. Um, Justin Thomas seven to one. John Ram, 8. Uh, Xander Schauffler, 10. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, 12. Patrick Reed 12. And then we get to Bryson at 14. So, I mean, for what it's worth, that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, there's a couple there that, that obviously would be, for me, I think Patrick Reed is, is a pretty good standout, isn't he? Um, two wins, a second and a sixth over the last sort of five or six years. Jason, I know we and you talk about him quite a lot because... I think we always consider him price big in the market just because he's so unpopular. Um, obviously, he's not a massive price of 16 to 1, but comparative to the field and, and the short amount, 16 to 1 is a good price to me. Yeah, I think I think my absolute point, and Mike's nicked it, was that I would have Reed and DeChambeau the other way around. Um, I think DeChambeau is priced on the fact that Bombers have to have, to have a chance here. Um, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know... <laughs> Reed's got the form here that we know he's won. He potentially he was a, a what a 10, 12 foot putt away from winning last year uh, on the 18th green. We know that he's um, an awesome short game player. Um, it, the, I mean, it's not a concern, but obviously um, at the US Open, at the DP, um, his short game couldn't keep getting him out of trouble. Um, and that's my that's my only doubt about him, but. Yeah, I agree with Mike. I'd read in front of DeChambeau and um, I've got four names written down that I was interested in. DJ, I think you have to, even if you're just going to cover uh, Pat Reed each way um, because he's just always there. He, he's just he, he's just very good at what he does. Um, there's nothing that's absolute standout. Um, again, just my only concern is, is the win element because of what he'd done in in two or three tournaments coming home at the end of last year. But yeah, he's the wrong price, I think. So I agree. No, I think, uh, I think, you know, again, when you're looking at 16 to one, Patrick Reed, just as, as a figure, it, it seems hard to get to sometimes. It's really easy when he's 40 to one and, and 50 to one for events that he really shouldn't be. And you know, it's the wrong price. Um, it does have to require a bit more thought, but you know, the course form here is just extraordinary, isn't it? And, and he's played it. And I think that, there was obviously a renovation last year where they toughened up the fairways and the greens, Mike. I know you would have that in your in your notes and, and that didn't seem to bother him one bit, did it? So I think that he's someone that would adapt to the changes if there is any and, and it should even get easier this year because of the less wind and, and the year's, year-long green. Yeah, I think the wind was uh, getting up to 30 miles an hour last year, so um, that blew out all the uh, scores quite a bit. I don't think the course is that much tougher than it was uh, previously, and I still think someone can shoot 24 or 28 under and win it. 
But, um, yeah, I like Reed. I, I only had two guys I sorted out, and I was trying to choose between them, which was Reed and uh, Hovland. Um, <laughs> he's nicked, he's they, nicked the game. <laughs> they both finished. bring him on, steal your thunder. <laughs> yeah, so if, if Jason's going for Reed, I'll, uh, I'll go for Hovland as my each-way shot at uh, 20 to 1. And I, I couldn't find anybody else who I could make a case for the backing um, except throwing all form and and statistics and everything else aside, I've got a bit of a liking for Sebastian Munoz, um, and he he opened up at a hundred to one. So I might uh, I might have a little each way bet on him, but uh, for me, it's going to be one of the uh, guys at the top of the market uh, who's probably going to win it, one of the top ten, and maybe Hovland. No, I like it absolutely. And, and Jason, you obviously echo those comments. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to it. Yeah, I mean, it's, just... uh, it's helpful to have an outing here. I know you don't have to have an outing. You know, you've got placed players in each one of the th- last five years: Nyman, Rory, uh, Ram Perez, and Brooks Kepka, uh, all placed without having a previous run here. That be my only can like my only doubt against Hovland, but. I was very impressed. I mean, um, I know we were both on Aaron Wise at Mayakoba. Um, Unfortunately. You, you can't, you, yeah, but you can't knock him what he did the final No, he did round. nothing wrong. Uh, but Hovland was impressed, and I was really interested to see how we how we would sort of come on from that. And I didn't give him much of a hope at the DP, um, and I was extremely impressed. You look at his, you know, greens in regulation is, is you know, a huge stat here. Um, and apart from... Uh, Dustin Johnson, who's you know leagues above everybody and everything at the moment, um, you know he's not been out the top ten. He's been out top ten once in his last seven starts in sort of greens in reg. Um, yeah, he's an improver. He's going to have a terrific year this year. I've absolutely no doubt about that. And uh, yeah, I I can't that that again. My doubt. There's always a doubt because it has to be because we're pessimists. Uh, <laughs> so my doubt is that he needs the run here. If he'd have been seventeenth or something last year. I'd have happily been on at 22. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's my only thing. But yeah, I can't, I can't, he's there's my top three, and I've got one absolute rag that everybody can laugh at. When, when we first started the podcast, Jason, I, I remember saying that I, I didn't think there was much, you know, there was a lot mm. of hype around Colin Morikawa, and I thought that the people were overracing him against Hot Victor Hovland, um, and there was a, they were sort of making a bigger cap than there was um, than there really was there, and then and then. The PGA happened. I was like, maybe I've got that wrong. That's a bit of a bad take, etc. And then it seems to it seems to have found its balance again. And I think that I do. I think it's hard to separate him, Wolf and and Morikawa. But but Victor Hovland looks a serious player. And like you say, the way he closed out that Mayakoba uh, and then carried that over overseas as well was was pretty impressive. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. I mean, like like you know, they tell you to look out for them, and it might take them two years, three years, ten years, but they tend to come through, don't they? And he broke the famous Puerto Rico curse as well, didn't he? Yeah, but Finau won't, but he did, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think, there's another, I think there's another angle there as well, and that is that uh, talking about, say, Wolf, Hovland and um, Morikawa, um, a lot of the tournaments they've played the past 12 or 18 months, it's the first time they've seen all these courses. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you wonder, you know, with a, another year's experience under their belt and having played uh, these various courses once, you know, how good they might actually be the second or third time around. 
there might be more upside to those three guys than, than we already think. Mm. That, that, that's a really good point because I think we've spoken about it a couple of times, Jason, about how they're, they're coming onto the tour so much more prepared. You know, the, the technology, you know, you've got the track man numbers. It's so much easier to, to work on your game, build your swing, etc. And it was always, if, if you ever listened to um, podcasts or interviews of any former players that are in their 40s, 50s, late 30s, it was always how hard it was the first couple of years, how it was just important to keep your card because you were seeing these courses for the first time. And these young guys just going, like Mike said, they're just going and, and performing really, really well uh, straight away. That that it is, it could be, and you know, it's hard to envision now, but it could be that this is just a start for them, and they they really could dominate for the next three, four, five years. Yeah, they're they're, they're just ready, aren't they? I mean, you know, Mike will know about the amateurs coming through. Um, I'm sure he knows about Casey Jarvis, uh, uh, you know, as well as the sort of the American amateurs. Um, you go beyond that. Um, there's a particular young South African I wanted to ask Mike about later if he's got if he's got a minute. Um, but the, these players are just ready to go. You know, it takes them one year on tour. And look at Hovland's tee to green stuff. I mean, it's, the strokes gained are just it's just unbelievable. Um, and as a youngster, you expect him to improve on each green that he that he faces. The different, the, you know, the different undulations, the different grasses, the different conditions. You expect him. You can't take away that iron play. You know, it's just, it's proper, isn't it? And, and you know, we'll go back to DJ. Um, somebody who could have easily, having having thrown away a couple of majors, could easily have faded away and uh, just become a regular player. But something clicked, you know, a bit later than we thought it would do. He's not exactly old, but um, something clicked a few years later than we thought it might do. And look what he's doing. And, and these kids are coming out and they're, they're ready five years before that now. So when they're 23, 24, 25... They're expecting to be multiple winners and, and competing at WGC and majors. So, yeah, yeah Hovland was, was very, very impressive. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens this year. Absolutely. I'll go on to, to my my bet of the week is uh, Cameron Smith. And, and I kind of debated for it for a little while because it strikes me as that the Twitter bet that never goes well. Um, and, and maybe it's too obvious and things like that. He finished 17th here on his debut a few years ago and, and he opened up for 75 and kind of improved from there. And I think he matched Brian Harmon's score. He finished third over the week. He shot 10 under for the last three rounds. So I think that the course aspect of it will be absolutely fine. Plays incredibly well this time of year. Mike, Mike mentioned earlier his second place finish at the Masters. He was fourth at the Zozo, 11th at the CJ Cup. Tends to play these limited field events pretty well. Obviously, likes the time of year, and and I think as well, just the two appearances, the two sort of fives at the Masters. I think that that kind of impresses me as well, because of all the undulations you get at Augusta, you get that here at Kapalua as well. Aussies had a great record here for before the, you know, the recent run of American winners. I think Appleby won it three years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Scott as well. Mike, is you know, did you have any thoughts on Cameron Smith? I'm guessing he probably wasn't overpriced in your uh, in your rankings. No, I thought uh, he's probably still he'd probably still be on a high from the Masters, and and he was in terrific form leading into that. Um, I don't particularly like him this week. I rated him uh, 36 to one, which was round about where the market is. Um, I, I think he'll probably uh, he'll probably be starting too far behind the eight ball in terms of uh, distance off the tee uh, compared to some of these guys. I'd see him as a top ten chance only. No, absolutely. Jason, any thoughts on him at all? No, he plays well, you know, October onwards, doesn't he? Uh, 
you know, so we said that last year when he started going in form, we were kicking ourselves or we weren't on because that's when he starts. Um, and, and no, I mean, look, he played really well at the Masters. He played well a couple of tournaments either side of that. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm, I can't see him winning. Um, and, and you know, fair play to you. You know, he's not for me. He's, he's one of a bunch there um, that you can make a case for. Um I think so just the fact that obviously all the he's going, Tom. If you if you want to get that, yeah. I mean, he started obviously. Early, he started the year off with that win in Sony Open, didn't he? I know there's such you know stark contrast in terms yeah. of courses, but there's obviously a link there. Players do Absolutely. tend to uh, to play well at both, and it's just one of those ones where I kind of expected him to be a little bit shorter. I thought that there'd be sort of twenty fives and and thirties that I wouldn't be that interested in taking. And when I sort of saw forties, I thought, well, that's probably uh, probably enough for me. And, and and don't overthink it type thing. A um, couple of other names that I thought were interesting. Um, it'd be interesting how Daniel Berger gets on. Harris English obviously been in incredible form, but for some reason hasn't got over the line yet. Um, probably look to him in the next couple of weeks as opposed to here. Um, Talking of you know bombers and, and that advantage, Scotty Scheffler was someone you were very high on, uh, Jason, when we first started the podcast. Um, hasn't really done his uh, reputation too badly since then. Um, had that little spell where he got COVID, and I think he maybe struggled with it more than more than we know because his form dipped a little bit. But last time out the Masters, he played pretty well, and and this might suit him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they all do. I don't know. <laughs> give, us, give us your uh, your your rag that we're all going to laugh at for the week. You're all going to laugh at, right? I'm not saying he's going to win. Okay, that's, that's but, always and, a good and, precursor. Yeah, but yeah, but the problem is uh, the problem is that his top twenty price, understandably, is is pretty crap. Um, it's Martin Laird. Um, I've got an A4 page full of notes that I'm not going to bother reading out because we're all short of time now. He finished um, second and he plays well in the wind. He plays very it? well in the wind. Um, you know where where he does play well, you tend to find that other players that have played well in this tournament are so you know he's, he's, you can go back years and years we know about Laird um, you know he finishes where Woodland Simpson finish he finishes where uh, Zach Johnson and Fowler finish uh, Bubba, Ram, Spieth, Zach Johnson all finish around him at Phoenix um, he plays well at Barracuda and there have been winners of this that come out of Barracuda um, Safe Way Kizare was second um, you know and, and he's played well there are, there are you know, there are combinations here all over the place. Matsuyama, Webb, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth again. Um, and I just thought, and of course, um, his last um, last round at uh, Hovland's uh, Puerto Rico was a, at a point in 75. He should have done a lot better than that. Um, I just thought uh, that 250, I don't know what Mike's got him in at. Um, I, you know, I, I don't rate him any higher than sort of 125, 150. But I did think that 250 just looked far wrong i mean he played probably for me whether it's shot of the year or lucky shot of the year when he won the shriners when he uh, if you remember that he was absolutely planted on the edge of a bunker and i, I don't know how he got it out but he somehow hold it um yeah I, I just thought there was more in it if they play it 250 times he might get placed a couple <laughs> um it just looked wrong to me that's all in a 47 man field um i, I didn't think that that was correct. Let's put it like that. Absolutely, Mike. I know you're uh, you're a fan of long shots. You, you mentioned Sebastian Munoz there. Is there anyone else that you can realistically see contending apart from from those guys, or do you think it's a case of you know the top half a dozen in the betting and, and maybe a couple of guys like uh, like Munoz and and Jason just mentioned there, Marcel Laird make it placed? 
Yeah, I mean, my my two long shots were uh, were Munoz and Martin Laird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you two have had a discussion first. before you came first. on. <laughs> then I uh, I went and had a look at the long range weather forecast for this week, and it looks as though the winds are going to be between about 12 and 19 miles an hour, which is which you'd call normal. Um, and and. Cameron Smith fulfilled one of my rules for the Sony, which is um, to have a look at if it's windy in Hawaii in January, uh, have a look at players who played this week's tournament and then follow them into next week. Yeah. Um, so if Cameron Smith plays reasonably well this week, I'd be on him next week. But but the, so far as the wind theme is concerned, that's what put me off lead. I thought if the forecast was for stronger winds, I'd probably have put him ahead of Munoz as my uh, crazy long shot. Um, but, you know, he's coming up 40, and uh, uh, I just can't see him contending against this class of uh, class of field. No, absolutely. I think, I think he's one of those ones where it's hard to see... Yeah, you you do generally get a top class winner of this. I mean, it was obviously, uh, you know, much more straightforward. And there's only thirty in it anyway, isn't there? Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those ones where it's nice to to envision a, a long shot winning it. Um, Ryan Palmer's someone I've sort of been interested in for quite a while. He's hundred to one, but again, um, struggles to win general tournaments, and and this might be you know, a, you know, very strong test at the top of the market that kind of oversees him really, but. I thought we're talking about Hideki Matsuyama and how he expected to win um, earlier on in the year. And he's had a third, a second and a fourth here. And I just wondered whether this might be the time for him to get back onto the oh. onto the winning thing. But I, I again, I have a rule about him that he'll probably finish 20th. So here we are. Well, looking at the uh, looking at the winners of this tournament, I've got the odds for the past 10 years tabulated here. 5-1, to 22-1, to 7-1. 16 to 1, 9 to 2, 20 to 1, 10 to 1, 14 to 1, and 8 to 1. So, so we don't need to go past 20 to 1 then, Mike, is, is what you're saying there. Well, basically, yeah. I mean, for sure, uh, some long shot could place, and, and some bookies are actually paying six places on the field of 42 this week, which is <laughs> remarkable. So, yeah, by all means, uh, uh, back a long shot each way or for top 10. But I think when it comes down to the crunch, yeah, someone twenty to one or shorter or winner. Absolutely, Jason. Is there something you wanted to add there? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm. Yeah, as you say, you can get first six, but the likelihood is that four of them are going to be taken up with um, players in the top top ten in the betting. I would think. You know, you got major winners win this now. You know, this isn't just a tournament that people turn up and they're unfit and they've just you know got pissed over New Year and they've come out for a laugh. This is this is now. It's called a tournament of champions, and and that's what it is. Um, you don't get rags winning. But, you know, like you say, you know, Harmon, Perez have placed. Um, Isaiah got top 10. Um, OK, Nyman did. We all know his potential, but, you know, we wouldn't have put him in the top six last year. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, if, if you're going to go, if you're going to go long shot in, um, there are other tournaments that, that you could probably find three figure prices. Um that are coming have a more up as realistic well. chance of winning. Yeah, it's not it's not long until those sort of events, is it? I mean, Sony mm. opens one of them. Um, then you've got the, the the three tour. I can't remember what they call it now. Where they've got the three courses, uh, is it the American Express or whatever they call it now. Um, 
Sung Jae-in was another one that everyone sort of seems to be talking about. He's, he's won at the Honda Classic in the wind. Played well at Bay Hill a couple of times. Won in the Bahamas on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, undulation there at, uh, at the Masters as well. He played well. So it's one of those ones where I think it's just a case of, of getting a feel of who's in form this week. Who's, who's got to shake off a little bit of rust. Um, and, and prepare us for the rest of the year. But uh, I think unless there's any other order of business, Jason, I think we, we can wrap it up there. And if you've got a, a press... Oh, you said you want to talk about South Africa. Uh, just very quickly, Mike, if you give me two minutes. Christian Mass. I don't know if I've said that correctly. Mass, Mass. Do you know anything about him? I've been looking through... The... I don't know why I do this. I was, you know, full, really. Um, some quite incredible sort of junior amateur form uh, ties in with Jaden Shaper as well. Um, and all that type of, of fantastic prospect. Do you know much about uh, Christian? I don't. I've just uh, brought him up in my database. I've only got uh, two starts for him. Um, October 2020, he finished seventh in his uh, only, I think, big easy tour start, which is not bad. And then a missed cut in the South African Open uh, in December. Yeah. yeah, he missed, he missed the cut by one in the South African Open. Um, yeah, beat beat Jane Shaper. Won a won a uh, tournament by twelve shots, um, in quite a strongly contested tournament. And um, Casey Jarvis was tenth. I just thought, you know, these are the type of players that I'm, I'm not saying you spend hours looking at them, but they're certainly where you look at somebody like Jarvis, who I think has won. What did he win this week? Amateur of the Year or, or World Golf Player of the Year, something like that. Um, it just made a bit of interest to see who was who played with him. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Christian Mars, I think he's only 15 or 16. Um, you know, he's been winning for quite a while. And, and I just think, you know, we've said before, Tom, I think the South African contingent over the next two, three, four, five years are, are just going to be incredible. It'd be very yeah. interesting what happens. It may fail. As Mike said, you know, the Graces and the Casillas, Kate, you know, were expected to potentially do better than they have done. And they haven't. Uh, Burmester again, you know, I thought would do a little bit more. So it would just be fascinating to see what they do. But they've all grown up with the Ernie Els. Well, Ernie Els, is a, is, is, they don't know who Ernie Els was, do they, when he was playing <laughs> too young. But they know who Ernie Els is. Um, and they've all seen that. They've all seen Louis and uh, Charles come through. Then you've got the Grace and Katsia coming through. And now you've got Christian Bez um, uh, and Jaden Shaper coming through. Um, I just think the South Africans are going to be incredible in three, four, five years' time. I think I think something that the Mike said sort of earlier on in in the show and it kind of sort of hit me a little bit was that maybe they found their level in terms of Grace and Coatsier and that sort of thing. And I think I think what it is is that they are there's a lot of extremely talented players in South Africa when you, you'd think the the pool would maybe be smaller than it is because of, you know it's not the biggest sport in it or it shouldn't be the biggest sport in their country. You know rugby and then the football and things like that you know and the cricket are all very popular. Um, so I think that they maybe overachieve and then they come out on the European tour and they play incredibly well and it's hard to translate that onto the PGA Tour and the major championships and I think you find a level like the Charles and the Louise where they do it at the major championships Ernie Els, Goose and people like that, that that do that and then you get these very solid South Africans like you had um, Brandon Gross for a long period of time like you've had Coates here for a period of time in his home country most of the time um, and then you've got a couple of middling people like Eric Van Roy and Dylan Vratelli that you don't know quite what they're going to do. And, and as you've both mentioned, that Christian Bazuidenhout could be a major winner. So there's there's a lot of layers to it, and it and it's hard to tell 
what you, uh, I suppose, clarifies as success for them. Like, if, if they're a multiple winner on the European Tour, is that a success? Should they be shooting for major championships? You know, what is a good performance for them? And it's hard, I guess, we've seen already how hard it is to predict future performance. And like you say, it's worth keeping the tabs on them because they, <laughs> they, they seem to come out and win earlier and earlier now, don't they? But it is, what is a success or what does that look like for yeah. South African players? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the other the other thing that's interesting is actually, I think it I think I read a thing that you know Norwegian golfers there's been a big you know can see obviously bits of Hovland's helping that, um, but you've got uh, Chris Ventura as well, haven't you? And, and that's an area of the world that seems to be developing a lot of golfers in relative to their uh, size. So it's interesting where these players come from and and where they start to appear from. It's Sami Vanamaki from Finland, so you've got a lot of Nordic players coming through. It is uh, it's certainly interesting to see what's going on, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's everything for this week. I think we've uh, we've kept Mike out in the cold for long enough. I think he's we're going we're going to let him go and recover and uh, get back to his um, get back to his busy life. But uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining us this week. Uh, really appreciate having you on. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, welcome. Yeah, I'm sitting out on a very cold balcony with about a hundred insects at one uh, a.m. Ugandan <laughs> time. We've got about 16 people in our two apartments here at the moment. It was the only place I could find uh, some guaranteed peace and quiet. <laughs> and that's, that's why I'm keen to let you go, because I can hear you suffering. Jason, um, as ever, it's a joy. Um, we've got a, a busy year ahead of us now. This is our first full year doing the podcast, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and we'll get into the stupid bi- uh, biscuits and cake discussions when, uh, when we haven't got Mike uh, suffering on the other line. Yeah, Mike, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, mate. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I hope it comes across uh, good on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, of course it will. I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure you'll be requested again on soon. <laughs> and you got some great guests last year. Hopefully, you can uh, you can somehow match that performance when uh, when all of them are probably trying to play golf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. What we need is another lockdown, and I can get hold of them again. That was probably the easiest time to uh, to, to track these guys down. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, if, while you're on there, if anybody's listening from the LPGA or Ladies European Tour. I don't know how many times you have to request um, <laughs> trying to give your players exposure. Um, but really, you know, um, we've had the guys come on. We've had up to Kevin Streelman, world top 50 coming on. For Lord's sake, I mean, you know, give us an hour. Right, there we are. That's my rant. That's his, that's his rant for the week. It's normally Radar Riley that gets the rant. So uh, we'll, we'll move swiftly on. Thanks, Mike. Speak to you soon. Cheers, Mike. Tell him, mate. Cheers. See you guys.